This is the Martin Luther Sermon Podcast, and this is Martin Luther's sermon on the text, Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, preached on Pentecost, uh, the 50th day after Easter. I'm Pastor Brian Wolfmuller of Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. For more information on the Luther Sermon Podcast, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. This sermon is from Luther's House Postles, reading from a translation published by J.A. Schulze, publisher in Columbus, Ohio, in 1884, a text and translation that is in the public domain. First, the reading from Acts chapter 2. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and began to speak with other tongues, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Luther's Sermon The word Pentecost is Greek, and it means in this connection the 50th day. Pentecost was with the Jews a great festival, occurring 50 days after Easter, and was kept in commemoration of the delivery unto them of the Ten Commandments, which took place at Mount Sinai 50 days after they had eaten the Passover and left the land of Egypt. This event was a great blessing unto the people. In it, God himself revealed unto them his will from heaven, that they might know what is pleasing to him and what is displeasing. That this great and important event might be well remembered, God commanded Israel to keep holy the fiftieth day after Easter, for thus should the people learn to value more and more the blessing of God contained in the revelation of his will, and to remember the promise which they made to keep his commandments as we plainly read in the 19th and 20th chapters of Exodus. The events which occurred in the Old Testament, and which were of great importance to the Jews, were only an example of what should happen in the New Dispensation, in the time of grace, as St. Paul speaks of it, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The blood of the Lamb, with which they stained their doorposts in Egypt, had no other virtue but to cause the destroying angel to pass by and to spare their firstborn. The blood of our Easter lamb, of Christ Jesus, has more power than this. It frees us from the bondage of that most dreadful Egypt, the slavery and tyranny of the devil, and redeems us from sin and eternal death. Therefore we have a far better Easter sacrifice than they had of old. So we have in the New Testament a far better Pentecost than that which the ancient Israelites celebrated. They received the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai, these contain a necessary, good, and precious revelation of God's will, for which thanks are due unto him. Yet such revelation assists us nothing against the power of the devil of sin and of death. The law only makes us greater sinners and prompts our conscience to accuse and to threaten us before God, since we fall short of doing what is commanded. As the circumstances amid which the law was given on Mount Sinai were terrible, when thunder and lightning intermingled and the whole mountain smoked and quaked, so the law still terrifies guilty hearts and makes them sore afraid, so that they tremble and know not what to do for terror. To know what God demands of us, and at the same time to be conscious of our transgressions, must necessarily arouse our fears and fill the soul with anxiety. For we all know what God threatens those who break his commandments, namely, eternal death and every misery. Hence, this Pentecost of the Jews is an unpleasant, terrifying feast, destitute of all happiness. 
It appeared so horrible and awful that the Jews implored Moses in these words, Speak thou with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. How different from this is our Pentecost! It has no terror, but is full of cheer and glory and happiness and joy. We have heard how the evangelist narrates the event. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, while the Jews were busy with thanksgiving for the possession of the Ten Commandments and considered the occurrence on Mount Sinai, the apostles and other Christians were also assembled in a certain house. Then there came of a sudden a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. At the same time there appeared unto them cloven tongues like flames of fire flickering heavenward, and thus the Holy Ghost was publicly seen and heard. He was heard in the mighty rushing of the wind, and was seen in the flames of fire. Thus Christ had promised it, and John the Baptist had prophesied, You shall be baptized with fire and the Holy Ghost. This occurrence has its peculiar reason and meaning. The cloven tongues indicate that the preaching of the gospel shall not be in vain, that it will move the hearts and kindle a new light in them, as we shall explain further on. Soon after the rushing of the wind and the appearance of these flames of fire, they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, who enlightened their hearts and encompassed them to such a degree that they immediately knew Christ aright and understood all the scriptures and took such courage that they would not keep to themselves this knowledge, but preached it publicly and boldly. Beside this there occurred the glorious miracle that they could speak in every language, though before they understood only their mother tongue. For this was the prophecy that the beginning of the preaching of the gospel should be at Jerusalem, and that from there it should spread abroad right quickly and boldly in every tongue as the prophets had foretold. The Holy Ghost taught the disciples these various tongues on Pentecost as an assurance that the gospel should pass on beyond the boundaries of Judea and be preached throughout the whole world. Then this is our Pentecost, the one of the New Testament, on which we are not afraid of God, but learn to know him aright, We are glad and rejoice. Our conscience shall not frighten us, for Christ is our Savior. In him we have courage in the presence of God, and for his sake we are ready to endure all suffering as is seen in the example of the apostles. Christ prophesied of such a Pentecost in his last sermon, as did also the prophets David, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Joel, Zechariah, and others. Let us therefore commemorate this day by preaching of the Holy Ghost, of his office and work, and how we ought to regard it if we would have a happy Pentecost and receive the Holy Spirit. Think not, my beloved, that the Holy Ghost was not active in the church and among men before this day. He is God from eternity and omnipotent. Christ says, He proceedeth from the Father. Therefore he must be of the same nature and essence with the Father. We have furthermore reliable testimonies of the workings of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of all men in all ages, showing that he enlightened and governed them according to the will of God. Christ says that the Holy Ghost spake through the prophets, and St. Peter makes the same statement. The evangelists also tell us that the aged Simeon and Anna and Zacharias, Elizabeth and John the Baptist were filled with the Holy Ghost. Hence, we must think and believe of the Holy Ghost as we do of Christ, the Son of God, who is from eternity and who, soon after the first promise given of him in paradise, began his work of opposing the devil and crushing his head. This deed, begun and carried on long before his coming into the world in the form of our humanity, Christ completed when in the fullness of time he became man incarnate, died upon the cross, and on the third day rose again from the dead. In a similar manner has the Holy Ghost been continually active in the world. 
He ever and anon brought men to believe in God by means of the divine word. He enlightened, strengthened, comforted, and guided them into all truth. This work, carried on secretly before, he now for the first time made public with power and might on this glorious day of Pentecost. Everyone present on this occasion saw and felt the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit and had to confess it. For the few who ventured to contradict this manifestation of the Holy Ghost by saying that the apostles were full of new wine were simply malicious liars. Their reason must have convinced them that the knowledge of foreign languages is not acquired by getting drunk. Why was this outpouring of the Holy Ghost postponed until the day of Pentecost? For this reason, that we might know this great blessing to be ours alone through Christ Jesus. He gained for us these gifts, and alone through him can we obtain them, as we saw from the 68th Psalm, which we considered on Ascension Day. In this psalm we read, He ascended on high and has received gifts for men. And St. Peter, referring to these words in his powerful sermon on this day, says, Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted, and having received of the Father the promise of the, of the, promise of the Holy Ghost, he hath shed forth this which ye now see and hear. This lesson we therefore learn, first of all, from our text, that the Holy Ghost did not for the first time assume and execute his work and office on the day of Pentecost, but that he has ever been active in his church. Yet, on this glorious festival, he, for the first time, made his working especially potent and public, that it might become manifest what a precious gift our Lord and Savior Christ obtained for us by his suffering and death. Another lesson we learn from our text. Just as the scriptures designate the Lord by an especial name calling him the Son of God, the Word and image of the Father, so they also call the Spirit of God the Holy Ghost, who inspires, moves, and sanctifies the hearts which before were corrupt and full of sins. The Christians, therefore, rejoice at this name because they are well aware of their own weakness in the conflict with the devil. They are comforted, however, since they know that they, through Christ, have on their side the Holy Ghost, who strengthens them against the attacks of the evil spirit, who forgives their sins and admonishes them to true obedience toward God. How the Holy Ghost accomplishes this is taught by Christ himself, John 16, where he says, And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. The works of the Holy Trinity are therefore distinguished from each other in our creed for the purpose of instructing our youth and the unenlightened. We confess that the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, created us for his kingdom and gave us our life and body. After our first parents fell through sin into death, thus bringing upon themselves all their descendants the punishment of God, Christ, the Son of God, became man for us, reconciled the Father, and redeemed us by his death from sin and everlasting condemnation. This redemption is now proclaimed by the Holy Ghost to the world through the Holy Gospel, whereby the hearts are enlightened and changed, so that they accept the truth and believe that Christ died for them, that an atonement has been made, that their sins are forgiven, and that God is now reconciled in Christ. Thus the hearts are purified and sanctified by faith, as St. Peter declares in Acts chapter 15. Where there is forgiveness of sins through faith, there we can rejoice and be comforted on account of the death and resurrection of Christ, even though sin is yet in us. There also will follow another manifestation of the Holy Ghost in our life. He will also sanctify our bodies, 
so that we will not burden our conscience with sin, nor love it and cherish it as before, but will strive to shun it and to lead a life pleasing to God. Thus St. Paul teaches when he says, Ephesians 4, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands the thing which is good, that he may have to give to him that needeth. It is the office and work of the Holy Ghost to create within us a new and true obedience toward God, so that we may withstand sin, crucify the old Adam, and obtain the forgiveness of all of our sins through faith. But this latter sanctification is not so perfect as the former, and is entirely dependent upon it. Our flesh and blood are too weak, and the devil is too powerful to admit a perfect obedience on our part. Besides, we have now only the first fruits of the Holy Spirit. But what is wanting in our obedience and holiness is supplied by the other sanctification in which we have forgiveness of sins through faith, so that we are perfectly just and holy. For the sin and corruption still inhering in us are forgiven. Thus we can understand why the Holy Spirit is so called, namely because he purifies the believers. That is, through the word, he implants in our hearts faith in Christ, whereby we have forgiveness of sins and begin to be obedient unto God. The Holy Ghost has yet other appellations from his various manifestations of power in us, all of which pertain to our sanctification. The prophet Zechariah calls him the spirit of grace and supplication because he moves the hearts to trust in God and to cry unto him for help in every distress. Christ calls him comforter because he strengthens the heart to suffer willingly and not to be afraid of any evil, as we saw in the gospel of last Sunday. Again, Christ calls the spirit the spirit of truth because he guards us from falsehoods and heresy and retains us in the word and true doctrine against which the devil and our reason argue for the purpose of leading us astray and deceiving us. Such are the principal works of the Holy Ghost. But he also adorns the faithful with all manner of gifts and virtues and, as Jesus declares, is a comforter who remains with us when the world, with its consolation, is powerless and of no effect. Since the Holy Ghost is sent to work in us such glorious results, it is of importance for us to learn how we can obtain such blessings and the Holy Spirit, so that he may also be active in us and sanctify and save us. Christ our Savior speaks of this in Luke 11 when he says, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your, shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask of him? Let us well remember this declaration and learn that God alone gives the Holy Spirit and that he gives him only to them who ask for the him, who are earnest in their supplication for his possession. Let then our heartfelt prayer be this, O God, grant us thy Holy Spirit. Let us not doubt but continue in such prayer. Christ himself instructs us to pray thus unto our Heavenly Father. But this prayer, like every other prayer, must be in the name of Jesus, we ought to implore God that he would give us the Holy Ghost for the sake of Jesus Christ, his dear Son. And this we can do without hesitation, as we saw on Ascension Day, because Christ went on high unto the Father to obtain for us this gift and to transmit it unto us. Hence we can pray for it with full assurance. We have both the command to pray for the Holy Spirit and the promise that we shall receive him. For Christ ascended into heaven, and sitteth on the right hand of the Father, that he might give us these gifts which he has obtained from the Father, not indeed for himself, but for men, as we read in the 68th Psalm. Yet prayer alone is not sufficient. If we secluded ourselves from others and prayed for the Holy Ghost, neglecting the word and sacraments, our prayer would be of little value. For it is God's order 
that the Holy Ghost shall be efficacious only through the Word and the Holy Sacraments. If we therefore refrain from these means of grace, we will never receive the Holy Spirit. Hence we are baptized and come to the Lord's Supper and hear God's word preached and desire absolution, for we know that all these are means by which the Holy Ghost accomplishes his work in us. We have many examples to prove this. The 3,000 souls who were on this day converted through the preaching of Peter would have remained in their ignorance and sin all the days of their life if they had not heard the gospel. But they did hear the word and were moved by it and were baptized. Christ has moreover ordained it thus. The eunuch of the queen of Ethiopia could not, have, could not receive the Holy Ghost before Philip had preached the scriptures unto him. When the Holy Spirit had moved the heart of the eunuch, it was his will that Philip should yet baptize him with water. If therefore we desire to obtain the gift of the Holy Ghost, we must, first of all, pray earnestly for it unto the Father in the name of Christ. Then we must diligently use the word and remember our promise made in baptism. We must frequently hear the absolution and go to the Lord's Supper. Through the word and sacraments, the Holy Ghost is active in our hearts and enkindles in them a new light, the light of faith, so that we do not simply hear the word, as did also the obstinate Jews, but retain and understand it, and through it become different persons with renewed hearts. Finally, it is necessary that we do not hinder the operation of the Holy Ghost in us or even drive him entirely from us by a lawless, wicked life and malicious indulgence of sin. The Holy Spirit cannot occupy the same dwelling with the devil. If, there are the, if therefore the devil torments us with avarice, anger, lewdness, and other sins, let us be quick to pray God for his assistance, that we may overcome these terrible temptations and remain faithful unto him. If we wish to have and to retain the Holy Spirit, we must avoid such gross sins. Or, if we, through our natural weakness, fall into them, we must arouse ourselves speedily, and not be entangled permanently in their meshes. Then the Holy Spirit is ready to assist us, according to our prayer, in our contest against the devil, our own flesh, and sin. On the other hand, they who consciously give themselves up to sin will be possessed of the devil more and more. Nor can they, without repentance, receive the Holy Spirit, whose office it is, as I have already shown, to lead us through faith to the forgiveness of sins, and to help us resist evil, and to grow in grace. But it is also true, my beloved, as already mentioned, that after all we receive only the first fruits of the Holy Spirit whilst we live in the body here on earth. Hence it happens that they also who have the Holy Spirit are yet weak and often fall into sin. Let no one be offended on this account and say with the Anabaptist that he who has the Holy Spirit cannot sin. It is true, if we always heed the admonitions of the Holy Ghost, we would not fall into sin, but it is impossible for us to do this. The devil is too mighty, the wicked world too corrupt, and our flesh and blood are too weak. Therefore we must constantly pray that God in mercy may not take from us his Holy Spirit, that he may retain in us his grace, and daily increase within us the gifts of the Holy Ghost, and forgive us our trespasses as we entreat in the Lord's Prayer. Even the saints are guilty of trespasses, but through faith in Jesus these are forgiven, and become harmless. Thus we see what the Pentecost of the New Testament is. It is a festival in which Christians ought to rejoice, because it is far more glorious than that of the Jews. Through Christ the Holy Ghost was poured out upon all flesh, so that we now have a knowledge of God and the light of the gospel, and can become, by the Holy Spirit, righteous and sanctified in body and soul. Let us, to this end, 
be earnest in prayer, in hearing the preaching of the word of God, and in an unblameable walk before men. May the Holy Spirit, through Christ our Lord, help us in this. Amen. This has been Martin Luther's sermon on First Sermon for Pentecost on the text Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. You're listening to the Luther Sermon Podcast. For more Luther sermons or to learn more about the Luther Sermon Podcast, please visit the website of Hope Lutheran Church at www.hope-aurora.org.